Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Hello, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It is wonderful to have you here with us. I am very excited to be bringing the message this morning. It's maybe going to be a little different. So I um, have had something that God's really been speaking to me about over the past couple months. Actually, it's an epiphany that I felt like the Lord gave me the morning we went into lockdown, before we knew we were going to go into lockdown, when I thought life was all fine and everything was normal. And then, oh my goodness. But um, I, yeah, it's, it's been such a life-changing thing that God's been sharing with me over the past couple months. And I shared it in our staff devotional a few weeks ago. The pastor Shane asked if I could share it with you guys. And so I'm very excited to share it this morning. But um, it's not like I'm going to be pulling apart a specific Bible passage or anything like that. I'm actually just going to sort of be taking you through this journey that God's been taking me through on the topic of joy. So today's message is entitled, A Realist's Guide to Joy. A Realist's Guide to Joy. And um, I actually kind of came to this, like the, God really used um, a, something to show this to me. And that was the Brain Detox by Dr. Carolyn Leaf. Now, I know many of you guys probably are familiar with her and her work. She's a, um, a neurosurgeon or a neurostudier, brain science studier, and also a, um, a Christian. And she has this thing called the 21 Day Brain Detox. And in the 21 Day Brain Detox, you work on um, breaking down a toxic thought and building a new healthy thought in its place. And so you kind of go into it knowing, okay, I know I'm thinking this way and it's not quite right, but I don't know why it's not quite right. I don't know why it's there and I don't know what I need to build in its place. And um, it's this thing where you really partner with the Holy Spirit um, to ask God to help you renew your mind. And so the reason I started this brain detox is that I tend to go into these spirals when I'm having a hard time where I go oh my goodness, my life is over. Everything is terrible. My husband doesn't like me. My house is ugly. Everything is the worst. And I just go into this like spiral of like despair and, and, and like thinking everything is terrible and joy is non-existent and how can anybody be happy? And um, I tend to get out of these spirals, but it is tend to where I go when I am stressed or upset or something like that. And I was like, okay, this is not necessarily a really healthy way of thinking. And even in everyday life, I sometimes can tend towards the negative. I can tend towards the worst case outcome. I can tend to think that being stressed is the right way to be. And so I really have sort of struggled with the concept of joy. Now, I am an optimist in some ways. I know many people would call me an optimist, and that is true to a degree. Since this pandemic started, I have been convinced that it was going to be over in two weeks since it started. No longer am I convinced of that. I feel like I've come to terms with that reality about two weeks ago. But um, for most of the pandemic, I've been an outrageous optimist in that regard. But there are other ways in which I can tend to just like be really negative. I actually, and I've struggled with anxiety. I've had like physical sensation of pressure in my chest for the past six years. Like this is something I've wrestled with for a long time. And the resolution of this story is not that I don't struggle with anxiety anymore. Like that's not where, where I'm going with this. But just to say like, this is something I've really wrestled with a lot. And then I would read the Bible and I would read verses like Philippians 4, 4. And it would say, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. That's what Pastor Shane started with that this morning. And I was like, okay, cool. Uh, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Like, that's a nice idea. Because it felt to me that when I was happy and joyful and at peace, it felt very fragile. It was like a bubble or a balloon. And at any point, reality could come and like prick that balloon and prick that bubble. And all of a sudden, I'd be back in like, oh, everything's the worst, blah, 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 blah. Joy and rejoicing felt very fragile to me. And I think that what I actually found through doing this brain detox is I discovered that I actually thought that joy 
was like this. Joy was like putting a blindfold on and denying the reality of what is happening in the world. I would put my blindfold on and I would be like, yes, everything is so happy. Everything is so great. And I would just pretend it was all good and just ignore all the sin and all the darkness and all the badness. And I would just pretend it was so good. And this is why joy felt so fragile to me because really joy was just pretending. And I realized through doing this brain detox that I even subconsciously had this attitude that if people weren't stressed or if people were happy or joyful or at peace, I I would not have openly thought this, but subconsciously I kind of had this thought, well, they mustn't really be working hard. They mustn't really be watching the news. They mustn't really be helping people. Ignorance is bliss. If they really knew the way the world was, they would be stressed and upset all the time because that is what you do if you are actually in touch with reality. Now, this is obviously subconscious. I didn't say this or think this out loud. But this is what I, like doing the brain detox, showed me that I was really thinking. Ignorance is bliss. We can be joyful because we, only when we are ignorant. So what actually this led me to consider is and ask is, what is reality? What is reality? And even beyond that, what is most real? A picture of a sunset is real but it is less real than going and looking at a sunset. A temporary tattoo that you get is real. The little one, you know, you got your dragon tattoo at the the fair, the one you begged your mum to get. That's real, but it is less real than a real tattoo that you had to go and get inked into your skin. Building a house in Minecraft is real in a sense, but it is less real than building a real house. Saltwater fish in a fish tank is real, but it is less real than the ocean. There are real things and then there are things that are in a sense more real. Do you get what I'm saying? I don't know if I'm giving a great analogy, but do you get there's like different degrees of reality? Dean's giving me a thumbs up. All right, different degrees of reality. So there's it's actually this term in um, philosophy that's called ontology. So ontology is the study of reality and it asks the question, what is actually reality in the world? Now, if you look at every different worldview, every worldview answers this question differently. If you were to look at um, some worldviews, they might say that ultimate reality is nothingness. That really, this is all sort of like an illusion or a dream and that if we really could reach the highest reality, it would be nothingness. Some um, worldviews might say that ultimate reality is that we are all a common soul or like a common consciousness and that we are all different expressions of one common soul and that Ultimate reality is like that one common soul that we're all part of. If you were to ask Descartes, he famously said, he's this philosopher who said, I think, therefore I am. And so to him, ultimate reality was our mind and what we thought. Everything else might be an illusion, but I know that I think, therefore I know that that is reality. So that was what he thought reality was. Other people might say reality is just the physical world. It's molecules, it's wind, it's animals, it's cells, um, it's natural laws. That's all there is. That is what reality is. Or... Maybe there's people who have like an animist tradition. There are spirits in the water, like we see in Moana. There's spirits in the water. There's spirits in the wind. There's um, spirits everywhere. Everything in the world is driven by spirits. Do you get what I'm saying? So this is ontology. This is what is reality? Is it an illusion? Is it just a physical world? Is everything spiritual? What is reality? And this is an important question because sometimes reality is worse than we expect. 
If you go to McDonald's and you look at the glowing picture of the hamburger on the board and you're like, that looks great and you buy it and then you open it and it looks nothing like the picture on the board. It's like false advertising, excuse me. Or maybe it's like the Matrix or Inception. You thought you were in reality and you wake up. I mean, I guess more so in Matrix and Inception. You wake up and the reality is horrifying. What you thought was reality was like maybe okay, but you wake up and the reality is horrifying. Sometimes reality is better than we might expect. I, um, I cannot believe I'm about to say this, you guys. I own a dog. I can't believe this. I've been brought up my whole life to never own a dog. And I own a dog because I'm a worthy now and worthies like dogs. And so I own a dog. And the deal was, because Dave wanted a dog, I was like, Dave, we can get a dog, but only if it's really old. Like, that's my condition. It's got to be like really old. And he kept showing me like three-year-old dogs. And I'm like, no, no, Dave, I mean it. Like old, like I want an old dog, right? And so we were online and we found these retired working dogs that were 12 and 13 years old. I meant it when I said old. And we applied for the 12-year-old dog because the photos of this dog were really cute. And the 13-year-old dog, the photos of this dog made it look so not cute because it's like its eyes had gone, um, it's gone gray. So it's got like a gray like beard and all its eyelashes have gone gray. And in every photo, it turns out its eyes were closed. And so it looked like it had no eyes. It was like the weirdest looking thing, right? And so we applied for this other dog and they, that dog went to somebody else. But the people got in touch with us and they said, look, the ugly dog with no eyes, maybe you guys want that one. And we're like, ah, oh, I don't know. But um, Dave's like, let's go. And I was like, oh, okay, it sounds pretty good. Um, so we went there and it turned out to be like way cuter. It just had its eyes closed in all the photos. It was totally cute. It was totally fun. And the reality turned out to be way better than the photo. So now I own a 13-year-old dog and everyone laughs at me and says I bought a walking vet bill. And I don't care. I'm happy with it. It sleeps all day long and it's great. Um, so sometimes reality is worse than we expect and sometimes it is better. Which of these is true when it comes to life? Are we going to wake up to the matrix or are we going to wake up and have a dog that's way cuter than the dog in the photo? What is actually true about our world? What is the Christian worldview on what reality is? Now, this isn't something I can just quote like a verse at and tell you the answer to. So I'm going to read three verses that sort of encapsulate it in different ways. But this is something you could read the whole scripture to sort of find out. But what is reality? So let's read. So we've got Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. God. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the very opening line of Scripture, we see that before anything was God. God was there before anything and out of Him came everything else that exists. Okay, let's go to Psalm 8, 1-4. It says this, that's Psalm 8. I think that's not right. I think it's Psalm 9. Sorry, Psalm 9, 1-4. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after the night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out to all the earth, their words to the end of the earth. Yeah, sorry, I've got it wrong on the screen. I'm pretty confident that that's actually Psalm 9, so I'm sorry about that. But um, this, this passage says that our physical world testifies to a greater reality. So we see the stars and we see everything, but they actually tell us about a greater reality. Stars aren't all they are. Stars are great. Stars are there, but they're actually expressing a greater reality, which is God. 
Now, the last one I want to read, obviously there's a million things you could read about this, but the last one I want to read is Colossians 1, 15 to 17. And it says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. What this verse is saying is that God and Jesus, they are reality. They existed before reality. They will exist um, after this world exists as the way it exists. Everything was created through them. Everything was created for them. They hold all things together. It's almost like this world is like a temporary tattoo, but they are like the real deal, the real thing that will last forever and out of which we get the idea to have a temporary tattoo or whatever it is, random example. But you get it. Like they are ultimate reality. God is ultimate reality. Jesus is what is most real about the world. Now, this may seem obvious. You may be like, yes, Rachel, we know this. God exists, of course. But this is outrageously, ridiculously good news. Outrageously, ridiculously good news. And let me tell you why. Who is God? If God is ultimate reality and we ask the question, who then is God? Let's read a couple passages that tell us about who God is. This is Exodus 34, 6-7. It says this. This is God speaking about Himself. He's, He's telling Moses who He is. And He says this. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet He does not leave the guilty unpunished, which actually is an expression of His goodness as well, which we can come back to, but yes. All right, and now let's read, um, so 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8. So this is, this is on um, love, but we know that God says that He loves, like that's one of His main expressions of who He is. So when we're reading that love is all these things, we can actually realise God is all these things as well, because this is how He relates to us. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It perseveres. Love never fails. This is God and how He is and how He relates to us as people. If God is ultimate reality, then beauty, goodness, music, good food, joy, safety, rescue, the gospel, the kingdom of God, all these things, these things are part of God, who He is, how He acts, what He's made, what He's given us as good gifts. If all of that is God and who He is and what He's given us, then that is ultimately what is most real about the world. So I used to think, that living in joy was living like this. And that if you were living in joy and if you were living at peace, then you were pretending that things were great when they were not. But what God showed me and what I've come to see the Scriptures tell us is when it says rejoice in the Lord, living in joy, living in peace is taking the blindfold off. It is seeing what is most real. It is seeing what is most true. It is seeing what is ultimately and forever real about the world. And that is just, in my opinion, outrageously good news because we live in joy and peace because that's true. Because God is good. He does rescue us. He comes through for us. He, and, and, and His expression in the world is in great hugs and great tacos and fun pets and all these things because that's His expression in 
the world. Now, there's one very big problem with this, and that is, what then do we do with sin and evil? Because it's all well and good to say, oh, all the lovely things in the world are God's, and that's what's most real, so the end. But the very enormous problem with this is, we live in a world where sin and evil and suffering and death and everything like that are also real. Yes? And I believe that saying that God is ultimate reality is not in any way a denial of sin and suffering. It's not to say that we should always be happy. Joy and happiness aren't the same thing. It's not to say that we shouldn't feel sad. It's not to say that we shouldn't grieve. There are evil, sad things in this world. And part of the goodness of God is His judgment of those things. If God was not angry about what Hitler did, we would not think he was good. Part of God's, part of God's goodness is his anger at, at what is um, evil and wicked in the world. All these things are also part of reality. And if we're going to live in joy, we actually need to reckon with things, these things as well. But they, in a sense, I think that in a sense what God is showing me is that they are not what has the final say or what will ultimately be true about the world. When I really struggle and go into these spirals of everything is terrible and everything is the worst and blah, 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 I really feared catastrophe. I would really fear that I would be thinking things were good. I would be praising God. I would be living in joy. And then I would discover that I'd had the blindfold on all the time and I was just a chump and things actually were terrible and I was wrong and I was a fake. And this is what I feared all the time is that catastrophe would come at any moment. My world would come crumbling down and actually everything I thought was good and right was wrong and I was wrong. And I, like, I was so afraid of this. I was afraid I would wake up in, and I'd be in the matrix and, and, and sin and suffering were what had the final say and life would fall down and everything was terrible and that would be it. And I don't know if others relate to that. I could be speaking out of something very personal. So I'm sorry if this is like, you're listening like crazy lady. I don't know what I'm talking about. But I'm hoping that there's a couple of people who are like, understand what I'm talking about here. And what I felt like God showed me is that ultimately, all these things, they are real. We have to reckon with them. This is what we do in this world. Is we reckon with these things. We deal with them every day. But ultimately, all these things are passing away. I want to read Revelation 21, 1 to 4. It says this, this is, this is talking about the new Jerusalem. This is like the end of days, the end of time, the thing that we are most looking forward to as Christians when Jesus comes back and the new kingdom comes. And it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. God has promised us that one day, all these things, these evil, the, the evil, the wicked, the sadness, the grief, one day, it will pass away. This is our eternal hope. This is actually reality. This is actually what the hope, the real hope that we look forward to as believers. But when Jesus spoke about 
the kingdom of heaven when he was on earth, because this is the kingdom of heaven that we're reading about in Revelation. But when he spoke about the kingdom of heaven here on this earth, when he was here, he regularly would say, the kingdom of God has come among you. The kingdom of God has come among you. The kingdom of God is near to you. And there's this sense in which this is already our reality now. It's not fully our reality. Of course, we still cry. Of course, there's still sin. Of course, we still grieve. But there is a sense in which we actually get to live in this reality now as we look forward to the day when it will fully be fulfilled with the return of Christ. And there's this, um, this saint. She's called Julian of Norwich. And she, was, she wrote the first um, English book by a woman that we have record of. And it's called Revelations of Divine Love. And she was really, really sick, probably with the Black Plague, almost died. God gave her these revelations. And sometimes you're like, that's so weird. And sometimes you're like, oh my gosh, that's Jesus. I know him and, and you know him. And oh my goodness. And it like touched me so much because she lived like in the time of the Black Plague and like God, her revelation of God was in some ways like so similar to mine. And like what, I don't know, it's just like, oh yeah, that's Jesus. I know him. It was, I know, it's just really cool to read her book. Also really strange in places, but really cool. And she wrote about what God showed her when she was going through this, you know, process of almost dying from the Black Plague. She didn't in the end, which is how she wrote the book, obviously. But one of the things she wrote, she wrote constantly about the love of God. And one of the things she wrote is this. She said, God wants us to understand and to believe that we are more truly in heaven than on earth. Now, I might quibble with her use of the word heaven there. I think, you know, we might say the kingdom of God depends on what you define heaven as and it's a whole different branch of theology. But I think we sort of get what she's trying to say here, right? We are more truly in God's reality than we are on earth. And of course we are on earth. She was literally dying of the black plague as she had this revelation, right? She gets it. But heaven, the kingdom, ultimately is more real than anything that happens on this earth because it will last forever, where the things on this earth will pass away. So I mentioned before that when I feared constantly was catastrophe, that I would wake up in the matrix and all my worst fears were, were more real than my greatest joys. And J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, one of the things he wrote about is the concept of you catastrophe. So it's the opposite of catastrophe. It's the sudden breaking in of goodness and rescue. It's the end of the Lord of the Rings where, oh my goodness, sorry, spoiler alert. I don't know, too bad. You should have seen it. You're, if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry. The ring goes in the Mount Doom and it gets destroyed. Or whatever, or the, the, the eagles come and rescue them. It's the sudden breaking in of rescue when it wasn't looked for. It's Iron Man showing up to save the day. It's the sudden breaking in of goodness and rescue and life and light when everything was, was terrible. And he said that we, we love fairy stories. He wrote this in an essay on fairy stories and why they were so important and why they tell us about the gospel. And it's like, so cool. And um, he wrote that we love fairy stories because this is the story of the ages. The story of the ages is not a story of catastrophe, but of eucatastrophe. He writes this, he said, The birth of Christ is the eucatastrophe of man's history. The resurrection is the eucatastrophe of the story of incarnation. This story begins and ends in joy. It has preeminently that inner consistency of reality. There is no tale ever told that men would rather find was true and none which so many sceptical men have accepted as true on its own merits. We live in light of the eucatastrophe of the ages. So we don't actually have to live fearing catastrophe all the time. We don't have to live fearing that we will wake up in the matrix and everything will be terrible because the opposite is true. 
we will one day wake up with a full revelation of eucatastrophe. And we already live in light of that. And um, my favourite, favourite expression of this came, I just finished reading all of The Lord of the Rings, which took me like a whole year and it was brutal. And oh my goodness, it's just too much walking about, too much writing about people walking. It's just too much. I mean, my goodness. Anyway, but certain lines in it were so beautiful. And this one in particular, I just loved. Oh, it just touched me so much. So Samwise Gamgee, who is my absolute favourite character in the whole story, he's my absolute favourite. He like thinks he's dead because he like was about to die on Mount Doom and everything and then the eagles come. And he also thought Gandalf was dead and he thought his friend was dead and he just thought everybody was dead. And suddenly he wakes up in the healing rooms and Gandalf's not dead. I'm sorry, spoiler alert again. I'm sorry, you really should have seen it by now. So I'm so sorry. It's Okay, he wakes up and he's not dead and Gandalf's not dead and everyone's not dead. And he says this, he said, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Is everything sad going to come untrue? And I believe the answer to that question is yes. One day we will wake up and everything sad will become untrue. One day we will wake up in heaven and, and those we thought were lost will not be lost. Those who, we, those, who we, like, those who died will receive back again. And I don't exactly know how that will be fulfilled. But I believe that that is true, that one day we will wake up and that will be our reality. Everything that is sad will become untrue. So I'm just about to wrap up now. I just want to kind of talk about like, how do we actually apply this in our lives? I obviously have still felt sad, you know, since having this revelation. And I mean, Jesus himself is called the man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. He obviously felt sad. It's not like this is like an antidote to sadness or anything like that. But um, what I often, like what I've started doing when I'm struggling and when I'm struggling to have joy in moments is that I do tangible things that reconnect me with reality, that remind me of what is ultimately true about the world, that help me take the blindfold off. And, now, and sometimes that is prayer, scripture reading, worship music, but it also can be lighting a candle, going for a jog, looking at flowers, um, hugging somebody, music, beauty, art, humour, good food, relationship, all these things are things that we actually can look at to see the goodness of God, to remember the reality that we will one day wake up to. These things are not distractions from reality. They are reminders of reality and they give us the strength to face the hard things in our life. We need to be determined to have joy. We actually can face the hard things in our life better when we have joy. We need to say like, I'm not gonna curse the darkness. I'm gonna light a candle. I'm gonna say, look, this is hard, but I'm gonna choose joy. I'm determined to remember what is real. I'm determined to live in that because I don't wanna be walking around with a blindfold on. I'm living in joy and I'm living in peace because that is actually true. Yesterday, I was really down. I had a really rough afternoon. I was like, back in the pit of my life is terrible and the worst and everything. Partly probably spiritual attack because I was about to preach a message on joy. And Dave was like, Rachel, I think you need to like take this as like a, you're preaching tomorrow about joy. So probably that's why this is happening. And I was like, probably. But what was really different about my pit of despair yesterday was that I didn't think that my own self in the pit of despair had had some sort of revelation about the nature of reality that I spent the rest of my life ignoring because that's what I tended to think when I was like that. I didn't think, oh my gosh, I've woken up in the matrix and this is actually true. 
I honoured those feelings. I wasn't trying to push them away. You know, sometimes we're sad and we need to own that. But I also didn't trust that what they told me about the world, more, I didn't trust what they told me about the world more than I trusted what God told me about the world and what, I, what the Scripture told me about the world. After sitting in my feelings for a bit, I chose to reconnect myself with reality and with goodness. Now, this isn't obviously an easy fix. Like I said, Jesus was a man of sorrows. But I bet you He was also overflowing with joy and I bet you He was at peace. And for me, this has been a worldview shift more than anything. More than anything, it has shifted the way I see the world, the way I see God, the way I see reality, the way I see joy. And it's been such a blessing to me. And so I hope that it's been a blessing to you and it's connected with you somehow with where you're at. Um, So I want to end with two things. I'm going to pray for everybody. Um, Just that you would have this deep revelation of the goodness of God and of of joy, a real real reality, realist guide to joy. But I also want to pray if there's people who are watching right now who don't know God, if you're watching it right now as we're doing it live, if you're watching it later, um, years later, whatever later, like if you don't know God, if you don't know this goodness, this outrageous good news, this outrageous joy that we can have in God, I want to give you an opportunity to know Him. He loves you. He wanted to be in relationship with you. He came to earth. He lived as a human. He died to pay the price for our sins, to pay the price for the wrong things we do. Because sin isn't just like an out there problem. Sin's an in here problem. And He died to make that right. He died to pay the price for that and also to kill the power of sin so that we could have a restored relationship with God and so that we have the hope of one day living in His kingdom with Him. And He actually calls us into relationship with Him. He says, come, know me, love me, follow me. And so you can choose today to to welcome God into your life. You can choose today to say, look, Jesus, You are Lord of my life and I want to live that way. And I promise you that this is the way to joy and the way to peace because it's living in what is true. It is living in reality. So if you want to make that decision today, I want to pray for you and then I'm going to pray for everyone. So let's join in prayer together, God. Dear God, I thank you so much for those who today who say, yes, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for living my own way. I want to live your way. I want to live in reality. I want to live in joy. I want to live in peace. Lord, I pray for those ones that they would find um, joy and, and, and just such peace in their relationship with You. God, I thank You that You'll be speaking to them right now, connecting with them right now. God, I thank You that they are forgiven. And God, I pray that You would give them the strength to walk their lives in submission and obedience to You now that they are Your followers, Lord God. And God, I also pray for everybody who's watching right now or in the future, God, I pray that You would just give them a worldview shift of what joy is, what reality is, God. I pray that they would understand, um, they would understand You and Your world and Your reality better, Lord God. I pray that You would give them the ability to walk in joy and walk in peace in a way that maybe they haven't been able to before, Lord God. We thank You so much for this outrageous good news. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Awesome. Well, if you are one of those people that prayed that prayer and made that decision for the first time, we would love to connect with you. We encourage you to jump on our website, go to the Get Involved tab, fill out a yellow card, and we would love to help you make a next step in knowing Jesus, following Jesus. And we just thank you so much for joining us this morning. So I'm going to hand back over to Pastor Shane.